This morning's scripture passage uh, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 852, or if you'd like to follow along on your phone, it's found in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that he will not perish. When the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the land and the dry sea. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord have done as, as you please. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Thanks, Jen. So um, as I was preparing this uh, message today, for today, um, I was trying to figure out how to connect the story of Jonah to, to what we're facing in our, our lives today. And, and then uh, I came across an article by New York Times with the same name, The Golden Age of Bailing. And apparently it is a very common phenomenon nowadays where people do bail all the time. And as I was thinking about bailing, it's really nice back in the day when bailing is only just putting your bucket in the, in, the sheep, uh, in the ship and then trying to pour water out and trying to bail yourself out of the water. But nowadays, bailing has grown into such a common phenomenon for, especially for the millenn- millennial generation where people try to flake out or they're trying to back away from social interaction or, or, or even obligations. And so the more I read about this, it's very funny. I learned of this term called ghosting. And I actually learned this from Gilbert when I was chatting with him. So, so, so it's a really common thing that ghosting is something that young people do all the time. And 
at first, I was trying to figure out what it means. So I actually um, went on the internet and do some research as to what it is. And this is um, a cartoon that I found uh, on the internet. It says, ghosting is when uh, the grown-up way of putting your, your, your fingers and your ears and, and say, I, can't, I don't see you, I can't hear you. And so as I was thinking more about this, I found a video online that gives us a better glimpse of what ghosting is about. Happening again. Zayf, it's happening again. I'm sorry, what's happening again? I'm talking to a girl. We have plans. We're supposed to go out tonight. Everything is going lovely. And then she ghosts me. Well, she didn't say anything, but she wanted you? She's ghosting me. It's the thing when you write someone and you're having a, a conversation with someone, you're setting plans, whatever, and then she just stops replying to your messages. And you call this ghosting? Yeah, because they vanish. Gone. Gone. Finished. Finished. Is this socially acceptable? This is actually socially acceptable. Joe, I'm calling to tell you something. You've got to listen. Tell your grandson to stop parking in my handicapped spot. When they try to park the car, it's impossible. Ghosted. Joe, where are you? We're supposed to go to that colonoscopy together. And, uh, come on, let's go. Call me back. Yeah. Better? Louis, you know something? The more I ghost, the more they call. Like, I'm in the same room as you right now, you can't be ghosting me. I mean, you're ghosting me right now, I get that, it's funny, but you... It doesn't work in the same room as a person. Like, no one's that crazy to do that. No one would do that. <laughs> you're taking it to a whole other level now. You're actually... Well, if you wanted to know, say, the girl, the girl I thought was ghosting me, she actually called me back. I was just being impatient. She actually called me back. Say, come on, give me something. Please give me anything, anything. Really? Is the book that good? Is that really that good of a book? So the video can't give you a glimpse of what ghosting is about. Is when nowadays with technology, you can actually hide behind the screen and go underwater, basically. And when someone messages you or trying to get a hold of you, you just pretend to be not there, even though um, they, they try to wait for a response from you. And so to put it into layman's terms, think of something that we, we use called WhatsApp. And you, when you chat on WhatsApp, there's always notifications. And so at the beginning, if you can't get a message across, you can still avoid the mystery of being ghosted. But once it's sent, and then it's received, it means that they have a chance to see it, right? But the worst is when the blue ticks happen. When you know they actually read the message, and they don't reply you. That's when you know you're being ignored. But to add salt on the wound, sometimes it says, some of these messages says, last seen, and you can go back a week later. And you realize that they have seen it for a whole week and they choose not to reply you. And, and that's quite an annoying thing when you think about it. So what does this have to do with today's passage on Jonah? So as we look at this, when we always think of Jonah, it revolves around the story with the fish. 
This is just me searching on Google, on Jonah, and all the images have popped up. Most of them is about Jonah and the fish. But there's a lot more going on in the book of Jonah. And more importantly, the story revolves around the conflict and struggle between Jonah and God. We might think it's about the sailors, we might think it's about the Ninevites, but it's actually a tension that is going on between Jonah and God. And it's pretty funny because when you compare to the other prophets, you have these righteous and very faithful prophets where, as Elizabeth was saying earlier, when God gives them a call, they must struggle a bit, but they will obey and trust, and then they will just go for it. But for Jonah, when you look at the first few verses of the story, God told him to get up and go preach to the Ninevites, for them to repent, or destruction's going to happen. And it's not just a simple go and get up. In the original language, it says, like, get up now and go do it like now. Do it. But when you look at the whole passage, Jonah goes to God. He did not reply a single time to God in the whole chapter. And what's worse is, the whole story revolved around him trying to flee from God. All the description is about how he found a city where he can charter a boat and go to some other remote place in the world. And so if you put that into perspective, it's like if God tells you, go to North Korea and preach to their leader about Jesus, and your first reaction would be like, totally not. Like, I would just run away. Like, I can't do this. I'm going to die. And, and, they, and partly, you might think, they deserve this. Like, the, these leaders did all these bad things that they should not get the grace from God. And so then, you run away and try to avoid that command. And if you look at the map here, Tashish is actually really far in that time of the world where for the people back then, they've they're kind of like some famous basketball player that think the world is flat. And then they're trying to get to you as far away as they can because that's the edge of the world as they know it. And, and in the same time, to get to there requires a lot of money. Back in the day, there is no such thing as a passenger ship. You either go on a cargo ship or you go in uh, a navy boat where it's owned by the, um, the kings or the, the lords. And so for Jonah to do something like this, it has to be really deliberate. And it has to be done with so much resources and money that you can tell he really doesn't want to take up that charge to be the voice of God to Nineveh. And so the question becomes, why did Jonah go? Why was he so intentional in running away from God. And to understand what's going on in Jonah's heart, we need to know the tension back then. Nineveh is one of the capital cities for a foreign empire in the time back then, where um, Nineveh is a city for uh, the Assyrian Empire. And there has always been tension between Assyria and Israel back then. 
to the point where eventually uh, the cities in Israel was being captured by, by the Assyrian army. And so for people back then for, for, who are believers of Yahweh, they believe that these are the mortal enemies, that there is no way they should be in harmony or even they should look out for their, their benefit. And so even to Jonah, they, he would think that there is no way I would do a favor to the enemies. But more importantly, Jonah was struggling with the concept of righteousness, where he thinks that he, as a righteous follower of God, he should do what he thinks is right to him and to his own people. And when you think about righteousness, there's two ways of perceiving it. Either it's righteousness being projected onto others, where you think how others should be treated in a way that you think is fair. Or righteousness can be something that you project onto yourself, in which you think that I am living out what is ethically right in the eyes of, of, of the principles or even the religion that I follow. But when you look into it, this self-righteousness, this concept of thinking that I am right and others are wrong, ends up being something that ties you down. It shackles you in the way you see the world, in the way you see who God is. And so to Jonah, what he's going through is kind of like a pouting child where um, it's kind of like what uh, a friend of mine was sharing to me where how he, 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 has a, a, he has a kid where he was always pouting because he always needs things to be fair. And to him, he was always being bullied by his twin sisters. And then, and then what happened was, he would always say, it's not fair. If you are my father, then you're supposed to do what is fair to me. You know what's best for me, so this isn't fair. You're favoring my sisters and not I. And so, in a way, Jonah is trying to complain to God that it's not fair when they are the ones who follow God. They are the ones who are God's people. But God is trying to show favor to the Nineveh. But you would think, how does that even work? Because God is saying he's going to preach judgment to Nineveh. How is he showing grace to those people? And, and if you look deeper in the passage, Jonah describes himself as he is a Hebrew and he worships God. And in that day, worshiping God also means fearing God and knowing who God is. And he knows deeply that the God he worships is not just a God that judges, but more than that, he is a God that is gracious and compassionate. That if someone does repent and show mer- uh, ask for mercy, God will give that mercy. And he knows deep down that God will show mercy to these Ninevites, which to him is not very pleased. Because that means the people that he hated so much, that he has so much grudge against, is going to be in favor of God just because they repent. When the people that have followed God for 
hundreds and thousands of years are suffering in misery from these people. So that's why Jonah ran away. Jonah ran away because there's that disconnect between reality and expectation. To him, he has an expectation that God is righteous. God is righteous with a small asterisk for my sake. God is only considered righteous when he does things that are favorable to me. But when God does not do things that are favorable to me, then he is showing favoritism to other people. And that's the struggle he had, the tension of struggle and struggle between reality and expectation, that he knows that this is not what he was hoping for. And so he can't rebel against God. He fears God. He knows God is in control of everything. So all he can do is run away, hoping that by him not going to preach to the Ninevites, then they won't be saved. And for whatever that happens to me, I don't care, as long as I live that righteous life. And so even to the end, when he had that struggle with the sailors, he refused to repent. When the sailors were all crying out to God, and then they realized that Jonah is responsible, and Jonah is the one that can save them by repenting and crying out to God for mercy. Jonah refused to talk to God at all. And he even goes as far as telling them, go and throw me overboard. That will save you. And I'd rather die than do something that I think goes against my own sense of righteousness. And so, what exactly is his problem then? He tries to live a righteous life, but in the same time, he is going against God. Is this something that is similar to how we go through in our world today too? Where we try to pursue righteousness, but it's the righteousness that we think is right, rather than what God thinks is right. That when we try to look for something that is supposed to be fair, something that is socially justified, we go to a point where we go on an ethical pedestal and say these people should not deserve grace. And as I look into the whole phenomenon of ghosting, this is something that I found on, um, on an article about how people are actually having mental issues who are compulsive ghosters. And it says that people who ghost see this behavior as an ultimate sign of power. Ghosting can lead survivors to truly see the toxic person for, for what they are, an abuser. And to us, if we ghost away from God, we also are trying to abuse God's righteousness for what it is. We try to project our righteousness into what God should be. We try to confine God in a box that we think God should be. And even to a point where some followers of Jesus try to play God and tell God how God should react to people that they don't like. 
And so, as I think about it, I myself have been a ghoster before, and uh, I shared with you, some of you before, uh, my own story of how I came to faith. And so, long story short, I was going through depression, and I heard about the gospel before, and I was visiting the church that I was invited to. And then uh, my parents shipped me to Hong Kong as a way of therapy. And so I was in my aunt's place in Hong Kong. And one day, I was just going down this very escalator in in their complex. And then at the base of the escalator, I I got stopped by two Caucasian guys. And then they were speaking Cantonese to me. And last time I checked, it wasn't Pastor Don. It was some other Cantonese, uh, Caucasian guy speaking Cantonese. And they're asking, do you know someone called Jesus? And he wants, to get in, uh, he wants to get to know you and be part of your life in Cantonese. And I was like, whoa. And, and so I was like, um, I know him, but I'm not interested. And, uh, but I'm interested in talking to them because I haven't spoken English for a long time. And I just want someone to converse English with. But they kept talking to me in Cantonese. I'm like, I want to speak English. But after some conversation, I learned that they actually came from Canada. And they had this uh, call that they felt that they need to go and find people who, who are lost and need God and, in Hong Kong. And, and that really dawned on me that God would pursue me halfway across the world with some, some of his people in order to, to find me and and hunt me down for someone who ghosted him. And so it reminds me of how even though I was struggling with um, my own identity, my own past, that the struggle of uh, shame and guilt, uh, my own sense of that, I, I shouldn't deserve. And that it's not fair for God to love me. That God still extends grace. And essentially, this is God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is not complete if it does not include grace. God's righteousness is not complete if it does not include grace. When I try to digest that statement, I I think of an analogy to describe that. It's kind of like when you're driving a car and in front of you is a cliff. And when you are righteous without grace, It's kind of like a car without steering wheel. That no matter how fast you're driving, you're going to run into the cliff. There's no way. You can stop, but there's no way to turn around. There's no opportunity for someone to turn around. But in the same time, if you have grace without righteousness, it's kind of like a car without the brakes. So you can keep circling around, circling around in circles, but eventually there's no way out. You're, you're just going to drive into the cliff. And I know some of you would challenge the analogy and say, you can just turn around the other way and go backwards. But an, an analogy can only go so far, right? So, so my point is, righteousness and grace for God goes hand in hand. If you try to show people what is right and wrong without giving them the opportunity for grace, you're not doing due diligence. And at the same time, if you keep telling people uh, and giving them the opportunity, but if you don't tell what is right, they will never reach that righteousness either. And to God then, 
this is the term that the Bible and the Old Testament use a lot of times to describe God's love. God's love is a steadfast love, a steadfast love, and in Hebrew it's hazad, which means covenant faithfulness. That God will always be faithful to the covenant to be with his people. He will not abandon his people, and he will continue to be yearning and coming and cry out for for us. And God is a God that never goes. He will continue to look out and pursue you, even if you choose to ignore him. And so, as we think more about what it means to to live out this life, so so what? That God does not ghost us. That um, righteousness includes grace. What does this all mean to us today? This is um, the direct response from the article from the Golden Age of Bailing, talking about what we should do to avoid creating this culture of people bailing out on each other. And the author, David Brooks, says that we should probably make bailing harder. Technology wants to make everything smooth, but friendship is about being adhesive. As technology pushes us towards efficiency, we should probably introduce social rules to create friction. And as I think about it, the word that really hit me was the word friction. And it is through the tension, the friction that we have with God all the time that draws us closer to him. As we go through these conflicts with God, the struggle and tension between our need for righteousness and the discrepancy we have with God's righteousness, if we choose to endure and persevere, that's when we get closer to, to, to align our own sense of righteousness with that of God's. And to us today, to, to, to avoid that ghosting away from God requires us to live in that friction, that tension that we have. Maybe it's about going there and reconciled with a brother and sister that wrong against you. Maybe it's about serving humbly to people that have mocked you and you find really hard to build friendship with. Or maybe even God has given you a call to follow and pursue him to the next level, but you avoid that call and try to shy away and pretend you did not hear it. God's covenant is faithful and he will continue to pursue you. And so the ball, uh, the ball is out in our courts. Whether we choose to pursue this gracious righteousness or we choose to follow a righteousness that bounds us to ethical standards. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for extending grace in our lives. No matter how much we have run away from you, how much we have ignored you, you continue to knock, you continue to find us. God, as we continue to reflect on the story of Jonah, may you remind us that you have a greater calling for us to trust and obey and to live in that tension in a way that is um, just painful but at the same time important 
for our growth and reliance in you. So, Lord, as we go and live our lives today and to the days ahead, may we continue to learn to seek your righteousness and to seek your grace. We thank you and in Christ's name.